Hey, Irish here. I have a special treat for all you regular listeners to the Wrestling With God show. It's a preview of a new podcast I'll be producing called A Priest's Life. It features conversations with Catholic priests about their journeys to the priesthood, their experiences being a priest, and why those experiences are so meaningful and rewarding. I'm hoping the podcast will create some intrigue and interest in young men becoming Catholic priests. God knows we could use them. This preview episode features our friend and wrestling coach, Father Len McMillan. My conversation with Father Len is raw, revealing, deeply personal, brutally honest, and full of Father Len's signature humor and wisdom. I think you'll love it. And I'm quite sure it'll give you an even greater appreciation for Father Len and what he brings to all of us here on the Wrestling With God show. Enjoy. I always wanted to be a priest. My dad had discovered the application to the seminary. So I knew I had to tell him at that point. And I knew that would be problematic. So I went to him and I said, I want to become a priest. And he looked at me and said, You'll end up a drunk. Welcome to A Priest's Life, the podcast where we talk to Catholic priests about their calling to the priesthood, what it's like to be a Catholic priest, and why a priest's life is so meaningful and rewarding. I'm your host, Irish McMahon, and I'm here with an old friend of mine and fellow Irishman, Father Len McMillan. He's the pastor of Pope St. Pius X Catholic Church in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Greetings, Father Len. Hey, Irish. So, Father Len, uh, you ready to kind of dive into your life as a Catholic priest? (laughs) I am ready. I'm ready. All right. So let's begin by giving listeners a little context for your experiences as a priest. Uh, how long have you been a priest? That's a, going on 31 years. All right. So you've got some serious experience going there. <laughs> so what experience with or exposure to religion did you have growing up? Uh, well, I grew up uh, in a Catholic household. My dad was not really seriously Catholic until towards the end. My mother uh, has always been very, very devout. So I would say a normal Catholic upbringing. So then uh, take us back to when you first began thinking about becoming a priest. If you can remember, you know, where were you? What were you doing? What were you thinking and feeling? Oh, well, I, to be honest, I've always wanted to be a priest, kind of. So I would say, I know this sounds strange, It was kind of like this constant whisper throughout my life. Not really like, oh, you know, not one big dramatic moment. When I was um, going to the seminary, there's this one guy who was from Idaho who would tell his vocation story. And he had this divine revelation. And every time he told the story, there was more angels, more light, more (laughs) bells, more smoke. He lasted a year. But he would tell this, you know. Ta-da! story and then they'd say well what about you <laughs> i would just jokingly do the counter thing of i got a small whisper and that's about it 
Well, so, so when did this whispering begin? And kind of give us a sense of what that means. So, in all honesty, the whisper was always there. I remember as just a little kid, and I had to be in kindergarten, just as far back as I can remember, I always loved to pray. Loved, loved to pray. I loved the crest scene. I loved kneeling as a little kid. I remember praying before the crash. I loved it all. I loved going to mass. Even as a kid, I would actually listen to the homily as much as I could. I just was in love with church and God. I had, I don't want to really get into that. One small mystical experience when I was a real little kid. Well, well, now I'll tell you, it's just bizarre where we're at mass and um, suddenly there's just this golden light everywhere. Uh, and it was just so beautiful that I started to cry. And my mother is kind of orange light. And my mother turned to me and says, why are you crying? And I mean, it was stupid. It was just, everything was so beautiful. How and, old were, how old were you then? I don't know. I had to be in like kindergarten. It was way before first grade, but I just remember it was just so beautiful. And even as a little kid, I would have dreams of God and God would always come in the color orange. Like the whole light would, the whole sky would light up in orange and speak to me. So the point being is that that's not really a vocation story, but I just loved religion and church. And like, I, I always thought it'd be great. And when I was a real little kid, my dad, he has a PhD in history and he believed in having kids play with books. So we had this time life series on the world and there's one on France and it had these black and white pictures of Saint Michel monastery. And I used to go back to that book again and again, because I just, I love the pictures of these monks praying all day long. And I remember looking at that picture thinking, ah, that what would be the greatest life whatsoever to be able to live like that. To just pray all day long. Yeah. So still haven't reached that one. But <laughs> uh, so like part of me, it's, I just think it's part of who I was. And so it was more of a discovering a whisper that was always there. So in one sense, I could say, well, I always wanted to be a priest. I don't really remember ever having any other desire. Like I'd fantasize about being a dictator of a small country. A dictator of a small That's kind of a different kind of a vocation than being a priest, I would think. Well, only in the sense of like I would imagine like how would I make the world a better place and how would I run oh. a country? And like I'd have that kind of fantasy. That's kind of a bizarre thing. But I never really wanted to be a like you know anything else than so the what you kind of are getting at it here a little bit but why did you have a sense of why you wanted to become a priest you said you liked praying you liked everything about mass and all that kind of stuff did you have a sense of why i don't think i could really at that age i don't think i had a why i just had a desire okay. of just that's what i loved and then, and then you said something about wanting to be a dictator, but you, the reason you wanted to be a dictator was to make the world a better place. Maybe that was the motivation. I don't know. Is that what you Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not a ruthless one, you know, a benevolent one. But like, there's so many problems in the world, and I'd like, how would I solve these problems? And how, you know, like, 
I used to just fantasize about huh, what would what would I know I'm a, a bizarre kid. Like, I, I like it. Yeah, I don't think I've heard this story exactly like this before. So tell us a little bit about the first time you told somebody about your intention to become a priest and uh, what their reaction was. Oh, well, it, that is a tragic story, <laughs> humorously so, because I first rode my bike, and I think I was in high school or junior high, I can't remember, down to one local parish, talked to this priest, and it did not go well because all that priest did was talk about himself. And I remember riding my bike back thinking, that's just weird. That's just weird. Like, it wasn't about the priesthood. He was just talking about himself. And I was very just kind of shocked about how weird he was, that he didn't really seem to enjoy the priesthood. He simply wanted to be the center of attention. And even as a kid, I was like, that's bizarre. So um, you so you first, you didn't tell your family or anything that you wanted oh God, to become no. a priest. You, you first went to a priest who didn't seem very interested in hearing that you wanted to be a priest. I don't know if he was interested. He just talked about himself. And wow. like if somebody comes and they say, well, tell me about the priesthood. And you don't talk about the priesthood. You just talk about yourself. That's weird. Like if I asked you about your wife and all you talked about was yourself, <laughs> you'd be like, oh, okay, I guess he doesn't love marriage that much. Like I was very disheartened. Kind of, I got to explore that. So I actually, I know I was in high school and my plan was to apply to the seminary out of high school. So I met with the vocation director of the diocese and that was also a bizarre experience because we were walking around. It was at BSU, rode my bike down there. He was at St. Paul's and we're walking around and I told him that I wanted to go to the seminary right from high school. And he said, um, Oh, don't do it. Don't do it. get out and enjoy life. And like that was just a shocker too. So, wow. so you're you're kind of you're kind of pushed back everywhere you go. You want you're you're trying yeah. to express this interest in becoming a priest. Right. He said, "Go and enjoy life first, and then become a priest." But when my thought was that would be joy, I thought that was a bizarre. Like, but I my joy would be being a priest. Priest, yes. So then, actually, like a couple of weeks after that, he actually left the priesthood. Oh. Uh, so I was like, uh-huh. I think you went to all the wrong people there, Father Lynch. So double back. No, that's something. important. That's important, though. That I know that sounds. It's I'm not being trivial, but I think a lot of life is dependent upon not only being inspired, but also having determination. So the very fact that I was dissuaded twice, I think that's important. You have to have resolve if you want to do something in life. So looking back, no, I'm glad a little world box was set up. Well, it only maybe, increased maybe. my resolve. Th that's great. I mean, that shows you know how much you wanted to do it. But you mentioned, so when did you first tell somebody in your family? You said that, I, I got the sense that didn't go so well. Oh, yeah, that didn't go so well. So just to finish that up, that third person I talked to was this Father Poblinski. Okay. Who was a saint, who was inspiring and uh, really increased my desire. So then after that, my dad had discovered the application to the seminary. So my sister told me that. 
And uh, so I knew I had to tell him at that point. And I knew that would be problematic. So I went to him and I said, I want to become a priest. And he looked at me and said, you'll end up a drunk. You'll end up a drunk? Yeah. So I said, well, we're Irish. Most of us are drunks. At least I'll be doing what I want. Um, (laughs) And so he just turned around and walked away. So then later he comes back and he had three cousins who were priests. Two did end up being alcoholics and leaving the priesthood. One became a great priest. So anyhow, he just was afraid that priesthood, its loneliness would drive me to drink. I wouldn't be happy and I'd have no other skills that I'd be caught in kind of these handcuffs of being in a lifestyle I despise, but not having the skills to get out of it. That I'd be a priest. I had no other marketable skills, so I'd just stick with it. And so, does that make sense? Well, so he, it sounds like he thought he had your best interests at heart because of, oh, yeah, yeah. Because of his perception of what the priesthood is, this horrible, lonely life that you know, you'd be miserable and drink yourself into the ground or something, I guess. Right. He was what? not He was not against so much against the priesthood. He was just, just against uh, getting trapped, and I wouldn't be happy, and I'd have no way out. And I have to give him credit. Now that I'm older, I have met priests who I swear, I don't think they really enjoy being a priest. They just don't have the backbone to say, I'm done. Yep. Uh, they have no desire. They They can't do anything else. So... I, I, yeah, that's true. So he just begged me to get a degree in accounting because he thought accounting was the greatest profession. Yeah, the reason I ask that is I've heard many times that when uh, a young man, you know, tells his parents or something that they want to become a priest, there is pushback for one reason or another. And so I just wondered if that was the case in in your life. It was, but then again, Either I pushed my dad or my dad pushed me constantly. So that was the nature of our relationship. So <laughs> that might not have nothing to do with vocation. That could have been if I wanted to be a jockey, for God's sakes. I love it. Uh, so so tell us a little bit about your your the journey of actually becoming a priest once you decided what you wanted to do and you enrolled in the seminary. So I did keep it pretty much to myself because I don't want to be influenced by other people. So I did go to the University of Idaho, got a degree in accounting, but every time I was in accounting, I could do the work and I could get good grades, but I hated it, hated it. So my only fantasy is that I just could never imagine myself doing this the rest of my life. So yes, I did graduate and I was confirmed that I do not want to be an accountant. So I applied to the seminary, and I went to the seminary, and I loved it. I loved studying theology. I loved learning theology. I loved the seminary life. The first year was great. The second year was better and better and better. And to me, it more or less has been getting better every year of my life, more happy, more in love with it. That's awesome. And we can talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But describe what it was like at the seminary, in the seminary. You said you really enjoyed it. What, for for somebody who might be entertaining the priesthood, what, what does that look like? Well, I suppose every seminary is different. 
but this seminary was uh, a Benedictine monastery and with a seminary attached. So, A, I loved it because I love studying theology. It's not accounting, thank God. <laughs> I just love studying theology. I love reading. So, like, it's a subject that if I had free time, if I was a multimillionaire, wouldn't it be great to spend my whole life studying theology and praying? So that was like the jackpot to me on studying. And then the other part is that I'm a very regimented person. So I grew up swimming where I would get up at five o'clock in the morning to, for two hours of practice before school, one hour of practice after school, having to do your homework, your chores, and then go to bed early to get up and practice. I loved a regimented life. And the seminary, at least because they're Benedictine monks that tend to be of German extraction, everything was very regulated. And I like routine and regulation. So, And there's a part of me that loves a monastic life. I am meant for a parish life, but there's a monastic spirit in me. So that was the perfect seminary for me. So seminary, in a way, is just like college. So it's like college classes but with obviously this religious bent. And the religious bent had a monastic flavor to it because of the monks next door. All that worked for me. I loved it. Loved, loved, loved it. Loved it saying morning prayer and evening prayer. I loved studying theology. I just, everything about it, I loved. So you you were right all along about what you should be doing. More or less, yeah. Yeah. Now, Here's the point. It got, every year has gotten better and better and better. So, like, it wasn't, when you say when exactly, I don't know. Uh, like, it was just a long whisper that it, I grew into it, and it's what I loved. What's really interesting is that this whisper stuck with you because you had a lot of influences there that would have told you, no, you don't need to do this. Don't do this. This isn't good. This isn't what you should do with your life. I got a lot of pushback. And here's the odd part. I am incredibly grateful for the pushback because I think everybody should get, like the Benedictines have this idea that if somebody comes to apply to the monastery, make them wait three days. Tell them no two times. And the third time they apply, let them in. But if you just let them in, then they won't be strong enough for for the monastery. So, like, I'm I'm glad about the silly priest who could only talk to himself that it didn't stop me. I'm glad about the vocation director who discouraged me. I'm glad my dad said you'll end up a drunk. Uh, even like in the seminary, there was one nun who didn't like me, which is pretty amazing because I'm so lovable. <laughs> um, and here's the thing: the other nuns, like every nun I've met. I've really loved, like they are, I just, I love the nuns, except for one. And I know I tend to be a little contentious. So there's a Cistercian monk who, Travis monk, sorry, who was older man who was in the seminary with my, in my class and sweet, kind, gentle, just super gentle. And he showed up late for music practice. We had music practice, I forget, once a month or something like that, before evening prayer. And he showed up late. And this mean nun chews him out publicly and humiliates him. This Mm -hmm. nice man, just 
come on, big deal. And she took it as an affront to her power. So she was going to make an example out of him. And I remember thinking wrongly, oh, I'm going to make you pay for that. I'm going to make you pay for that. <laughs> this nun is not going to get away with this, right? She's not, no, she's not going to know. So anyhow, she wants to have a fight with power. I'll, I'll take that one. So anyhow, I wasn't ever like crossing the line rude. I just always, in my certain way, let her know where the line was. And once she called me into her office, and I just so remember this because I was kind of looking forward to it. <laughs> looking and, forward to the fight? Yeah. And her lips were pursed. And she said, Leonard McMillan, you are the rudest person I have ever met in my life. And I said, well, see, there you go. You need to get out and meet more people. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really kind of funny because even like she wrote these letters of protest constantly the rector was telling me, the head of the seminary was saying, oh, you know, she's written all these letters to the diocese and that do not ordain him. He is a, no, it's, I'm not a problem. I just, I'm not going to let you get away with, you know, treating somebody that way. Anyhow, so this sounds kind of strange. I had other friends who knew that she was dangerous so that they would capitulate to her, but they kind of, I'd say this, lost their backbone. Like you kind of think, okay, they made it through without her writing any letters of complaint. But you also lost your backbone that in the priesthood, you never really stand up for anybody. And there's a story about this guy who collected moths. Collected, collected what moths. now? Moths. You know, moths. Like butterflies. Yeah, yeah, moths. yeah, yeah. But he comes upon one that's in the chrysalis form in the cocoon. And he's watching it. And it's not coming out of the cocoon. So he kind of, I'll give it a little help. And he splits the the cocoon so it's easier to get out get out and the moth does emerge but then the moth is sickly and in three days died and he asked somebody about it and he says yeah because the struggle getting out of the cocoon is what strengthens the wing to fly he said by making it easy you didn't let the moth develop the strength to fly and i know that sounds stupid but i'm grateful about the vocation director who discouraged me, the dad who warned me about uh, becoming an alcoholic, the nun who wrote all these letters, because it only increased a certain passion in me that allows me to fly. And the ones who said, no, I'm going to take the easy way, they didn't really ever give everything to their priesthood. And I'm not saying priesthood to me, it's great. I love it. I want to die a priest. Uh, but my dad was really right. Priesthood is very, very lonely. It's anybody who says it's not lonely is either a liar or delusional. <laughs> it's it's harshly lonely. It's a it is a cross. Like well, talk, talk about that a little bit and how you deal with it. Uh, well, there's alcohol. Um, <laughs> I, that was a joke. <laughs> so yeah, my. Third year of priesthood, I was kind of surprised how lonely it was. And I actually thought about leaving. So I was in McCall, and I took a trip to Medjugorje because the Virgin Mary was appearing to these children in Medjugorje, Yugoslavia. And I just took the trip because before I left, I wanted to, like, this is what I always wanted to do, and I'm kind of surprised how lonely it is. So I just wanted to take a trip and as a 
pilgrimage to ask the Virgin Mary, am I supposed to be a priest? And so anyhow, go there, saw the miracle of the sun, the sun dancing across the sky, saw a bunch of stuff. But interestingly, dreams were really big in Medjugorje. And at this pension where I was staying, some people came down from breakfast and they're talking about their dreams. Really interesting. And then this elderly woman comes to the table and she just looks terrible. So I said, are you okay? You don't, you don't look well. And she says, oh, I had a dream last night. It was terrible. She said, my son appeared to me in a dream and told her that he had died and had a heart attack. And don't worry. He's happy. He's in paradise. He's happy. And she says, after that, I couldn't sleep. And then as she's finished your story, the phone rings and it's somebody from the United States calling to say her son had a heart attack and did die. So Gosh. like at that point, we have to get her on a bus back to Dubrovnik. So this other woman and I, we go to take care of that. And on the bus to Dubrovnik, this other woman says, oh, I forgot to tell you, just with the, you know, the drama of the sun dying, I forgot to tell you that I had a dream the other night and the Virgin Mary came to me and she came to me and says, tell Len that he came here with a question. And the answer to his question is he has two hands, one for love and one for service. He can do what he wants as long as he uses both hands. And I didn't really find that a satisfactory yes or no answer. So I said, would you mind going back and asking her for a clarification? <laughs> but you wanted, honesty, def- you wanted a definitive yeah. answer about whether you yeah. should stay you in the You tell me what to do. Yeah. You tell me what to do. But after she said that, it really did free me. It's like, no, I, I do. Like, that's the two good things I'm, I'm good at is love and service. Well, that's I also the priesthood. Yep. I love working. So it made the loneliness palpable. In fact, this sounds kind of strange. I read this in this mystic when I was in Italy, this mystic who said, loneliness can either be a good angel or a terrible demon. And this one mystic decided to make loneliness an angel. And I thought, oh, that's what I've got to do. And loneliness has been a great asset for me. It's been an angel. But it is anybody who says it's not lonely is is a liar. Can you explain that, that how it's been an angel, how you've kind of... Um... Uh, reconciled with the loneliness? Um, Well, I'll put it this way. Like any cross, it's actually led me closer to God, uh, to Christ, to be more compassionate. I now, I thank God for my loneliness. Hmm. It has brought me closer to people, to the sacred. There's a reason why Dorothy Day labeled her autobiography, The Long Loneliness. And for her, loneliness, yeah, it's a terrible thing. But it also has turned out to be this great blessing that made her really care for other people. So, yeah, I can see how a lot of priests would turn to alcoholism because of uh, the loneliness. But it does make a terrible demon. But you've turned it into something that's ma- actually made you a better person. Talk to that nun. That might not necessarily be. <laughs> like, my big problem is... There's a lot of deception, self-deception in the priesthood. 
and in the hierarchy. That's my big burr under my saddle. That you're not allowed to really be honest. So anybody who's thinking about becoming a priest, pray to God you become brutally honest with yourself. You need truthfulness. You need just brash honesty about yourself and about life. If you're going to say, oh, no, I'm not lonely, yeah, eventually you'll just you'll hit the bottle or something worse. I can, I can understand that. Like, I'm supposed to be happy because people tell me priesthood is happy. And priesthood is fulfilling. But the lonely, you've taken the blessing of loneliness and turned it into a terrible curse. I don't care what it is. Everybody has their crosses. But with brutal honesty, it allows you to change that curse into a great blessing. The other thing is that the loneliness drove me to really care about my people. Where I honestly, this sounds weird, but I pray to fall in love with my people. But I pray one Hail Mary per day, every day of my life, that I will fall in love with these people. You're talking about and, the people in your parish. Yeah. And I pray, I always pray uh, for friends. Like I, not to entertain me, but the things that kept me really honest is also friends who would call BS on me. And a lot of priests and bishops, I've discovered they don't really have good friends. They have yes men. They have allies. But they don't really have good friends. It's just an alliance. In, in, um, your, in your priesthood, where do you find your friends? Do you find friendship in other priests? Do you find it in your parishioners? Where do you find this friendship? You know, that's a really odd part. I don't look in any sort of category. Now, obviously, I have very close priests who are friends, but this sounds kind of strange. I always prayed for a friend, and God would give it to me. I just had to be open. Like one of my closest old old friends is somebody who I met in a coffee shop who I was just sitting next to and wasn't looking for a friend, but, wow, we just, even though very opposite, he turned out to be, to this day, one of my closest friends. Another close friend is just somebody who I worked with in high school who, to this day, uh, I love her. I love her children. If I win the lottery, I'm taking care of her children. Like, I just love, like, it's it is not a category I look for. I, it's a prayer that's been answered, and sometimes they just strangely come out of nowhere. But my friends... My real close friends, they keep me honest and call BS on me because uh, I have a lot of BS. Like I am, it's so easy to deceive yourself. So like the loneliness also made me really want, cl- not allies, but friends, true friends. I have a few of them, but like, I love that line in Proverbs that iron sharpens iron as iron sharpens iron. So do true friends. They're the ones who call on you. And like a lot of the priests and bishops, they only surround themselves by people who agree with them, not who challenge them on their foibles and self-deceptions. So for me, like I have to say, I, I really do love the priesthood. I was not meant to be an accountant. So I, <laughs> I believe I was created for this. I grew into it. So tell us a little bit about what a priest does all day, you know, for somebody entertaining the priesthood, 
What do you do all day? Kind of describe a typical day in your life as a priest. Okay, every day is different. So, but first of all, this is sadly true, at least out west, every priest is self-employed. You are your own boss. A hundred, like this sounds strange. Anybody who says different, I think they've drunk the Kool-Aid. I am my own boss. I can work as little or as much as I want to just based on my vision. So when you ask that question, there's no answer that fits all priests. So I've known priests who they really don't want to work. They want to spend most of their time in front of the TV. So no ministry start. You know, it is just a gas station for the weekend that, mm. and that they want their free time. And, you know, I only see the bishop once a year. It's not like the bishop is coming to my parish. Idaho is too big for that. So <laughs> you're your own boss, in all honesty. Well, talk so, about how you spend your time then, Father Len. I mean, okay, so you, mine you, be, what, what life they, have you kind of carved out? It's, every day is different. So you always get the wild card. But start off early in the morning. For me, I get up really early. So I spend an hour in prayer every morning. Then after that, I come to the parish and celebrate Mass. Then after Mass, it's like two to three weeks get an appointment. I always have meetings, but I also have teach classes, well, really three times a week. So today I taught my adult education. I always do that on Tuesdays. Uh, Monday is personal meetings. Like let's say somebody wants to have a one-on-one meeting. That's Monday mornings. Tuesday is adult ed and staff. Wednesday, I celebrate mass at the school. Thursday, what is Thursday? Oh, Thursday, I will be teaching a class in the evening. Friday, I teach a class at the school. My only point today, that's not my whole day, but you get a lot of, you know, a third is teaching or homilies. Then sacraments, you always have sacraments. Uh, every day there's somebody who's dying who needs to be anointed or sick or confessions tomorrow or no, Thursday I have a funeral. So that's usually in the late morning is when I do that kind of stuff or anointings is usually one thirty. Try and keep that to one thirty. Any running around I have to do, I always save that to one thirty. So it doesn't matter when the emergency is, I'll get to it at one thirty. can push it back to two thirty. And then in the evening, I always have evening meetings. There's all these committee meetings, a finance meeting, and this meeting, and construction meetings. Or So do you so, have any kind of a social life as a priest, or do you personally I, have a social I, life? My big fault is that I don't have much of a social life. Not really, no. I, in, is it possible to have a social life as a priest? You can do anything you want. I am my own boss. It, that, okay. That's my fault. That's in, in, when I was in Meridian, I had friends who I'd got to move in a pizza with, um, usually about once a month. There's other friends I would go every couple of months. I'd go over to their house for dinner. So that was really, my social life was basically movie or dinner with friends. So, so but that's up to you. You can have a social life if you want. When I was in McCall, uh, I skied four times a week. There wasn't a lot of work to do in the parish. So I was like being semi-retired. <laughs> and the people were on the ski hill. I go, okay, go where the people are. So I skied four days a week. I like it. Oh, gosh, I love that. So 
You've talked a little bit about this, but maybe uh, there are some other things that come to your mind. But talk about the effect your experiences being a Catholic priest have had on you personally. Well, me personally. Okay, so I would describe it this way. Um, I am lucky that I have a front row seat on the drama of humanity. Like I am so lucky that I, in everybody's life, I I get a front row seat. I, I don't know how else to describe it, but um, I'm very involved. Whenever there's a you know tragedy, I'm there. Uh, when people's life, major life moments, I'm there. So I think I'm kind of grateful that. I think I have the best view of life that there is. I get prayer and I get, which I is communion with God, but I also get, I get to be involved at people's best and worst times of their life. Hmm. Um, so that's, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's better than re I love to read and I love to learn, but the best of all is being, having this front row seat. So what is it about the what is it about the front row seat that uh, that that you enjoy that help, well, help us wisdom to be gained there you know, in, the, in the story of people's lives I'm really close to that story I know everybody's secrets I know what's you know what's often going on that other people don't know um, I get to see both the ugly and the good. Um, so to me, it's always just like a philosophically the best spot, spot in the house to see both the dark and the goodness of life. So is that being involved in this drama of life? Uh, it, I'd be kind of interesting to know um, what are the things that specifically bring you the most satisfaction and the most joy in your life as a priest? Oh, Okay, well, it sounds trite, but prayer. <laughs> really like prayer. I also really like the teaching part. I love to talk about Christ and the church and the sacraments, so love that. I love, this sounds strange, creating community. Like our big word, Catholic, means, you know, universal. Implies unity and connection and communion. I I love creating that uh i my personality i also believe that i am set here in the world to create some justice that to have a community that really cares for justice i may not be in the front lines on that anymore but i create a community that does it is amazing how much my previous parish or even this parish that's one of the reasons why i like this parish um do so much in the cause of justice um where do they go? They, they they come here. So I love the justice. I love the community. I love the teaching. I love the prayer. Um, I, I love, like, it sounds kind of strange, but anointings are a bit of a pain because you have to, you know, it's 20 minutes driving there, 20 minutes anointing, 20 minutes back, and you, I'm, on, I'm under the eye of the clock. The clock is always watching me. But to anoint somebody who's dying, I find just this sacred moment. So when you ask a question like, what do you like about it? Um, I hate to say this. I guess I like it all. 
I find it exciting. I mean, I'm not balanced. I, I, I have a friend who's an accountant and she loves the balance and clarity of accounting. As I said, oh my God, I would put a bullet in my head. I love. I <laughs> you'd rather love, have the, You'd rather have to change the drama, the whatever in life. Yeah, you know, spiritual things get me all, you know, excited. She likes balance. I like unbalance. <laughs> I like it. Well, finally, uh, Father Lynn, what advice maybe do you have for guys who might be? you know, thinking about becoming priests, discerning the priesthood, what would you say to them? Well, that's really easy. It says, one, perseverance. Thank God. You demonstrated that. No, yeah. really. No, you want to become a great, you want to develop wings to fly, learn to struggle. Pray for grit and determination. Um, don't become one of these people who advanced in their priesthood by being kind of this soft puppy dog. Yes, men. You'll never really fly that way. Develop perseverance. Um, secondly, as I said, truthfulness. It is so easy to be seduced by your own sense of goodness. And the only thing that keeps you from that is very honest friends and truthfulness. The problem with religious institutions, they fall in love with themselves and they're seduced by their own sense of goodness. Very dangerous. Wow. I never thought about that way. That's, that is, that's really an interesting perspective. Hmm. And and I think kind of a good one. Well, Father Len, I I think that your story uh, will give people discerning the priesthood, thinking about the priesthood. I think it'll give them a lot to think about. And I think you've demonstrated your your advice to have a lot of honesty with yourself and and the perseverance as well. Because the more I've done some of these priest stories, there is pushback in almost every one of the stories that I've uh, uh, that I've uncovered so far, and some really significant pushback, and for a long period of time. So pushback is a good thing. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that makes total sense. So if someone who's interested in the priesthood, is there some way that that they could get in touch with you if they have questions? Do you have a, a way that uh, they, they might be able to do that? It's really easy. The, my email is on the website, or you okay. can call call the parish. And, and you will return your calls, right? Well, I wish you wouldn't have mentioned that because there's like seven I haven't got to today. So, and I'm not going to. So, but if, if somebody calls and says they're interested in the priesthood, you'll likely get back to them, maybe not in the next minute or two. Yes. yes. All right. Well, Father Lynn, thanks for sharing your story. Thank you, Irish. The priesthood is a special vocation, and we're pleased to share the stories of men who've answered God's call to make the sacrifice to shepherd his people in the Catholic Church. Thanks for listening. See you next time when we present another supernatural story of a priest's life.